for us to sing, and now let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we make that our prayer. We want you, Lord Jesus, to be our vision. And we want to see you, Lord, today. And it's our prayer that all of us together will, will see you today, Lord, in a, in a greater way, in a deeper way, a more profound way, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, through worship and song and the gift of music, Lord, we have been, um, we've, been, we've been just drawn into this grander vision of who you are. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray your spirit to continue that work of, 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 of showing us Jesus, revealing to us the truth about Jesus and how that impacts each of our lives. And so we, we come to this very special moment now. We ask, Spirit, for your help uh, as we gather around your word. May we see Jesus. May people come to saving faith. May we each be drawn closer to you. And, Lord, empowered in a fresh way to be your hands and feet. And so, Lord, we, we ask your blessing upon us. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. It is good to be together. Thanks, everyone. You did a good job. Would you give some encouragement this morning? Thank you. Thank you. It's great. It's great. You did, uh, you did really well this morning. And uh, appreciated uh, the uh, choice of songs as, as we were singing and songs that just kind of, I think, lifted our, our, our eyes to see who God is and to see this picture of our great God and songs that just drew us in to have this picture of the greatness and the majesty uh, of God. And so, so thank you for that. They'll be back in just a moment. Uh, I don't know if it'll be just a moment. It might be a longer moment, but, but you'll, you'll, you'll be back. You'll be back. Good to, good to be with you. If you're, if you're visiting with us, if it's your first time here, we're, we're so glad that you're here as our guest today. I talked to some people before the service. We're here for the first time. There are some connection cards. There should be. We'd love for you to uh, fill one of those out. But you can also just go online and, and complete one of these uh, if you just want to grab your phone. It's communityofgrace.org slash contact um, and uh, you'll be able to fill one of these out, or connect, is it? Uh, you'll be able to fill one of these out online. It'll go directly to our, to our office, so if you want, don't want to take the time to fill one out, you can do that digitally now, so just take some time to do that this morning. God bless. Now, uh, just I, I want you to notice something. Last Sunday morning, when everyone was, you know, fanning themselves, I said that it would be great to have a little bit of a cooler Newfoundland breeze. Did you notice? I just want you to notice this. I just, just want you to pay close attention, all right? And so you'll notice this morning that we have that bit of a cooler, uh, I'll call it a Newfoundland breeze, but it's, it's not quite, it's not quite. Not quite. Over the last couple of weeks, we have uh, been talking about foundations and buildings and builders. One of the images that the Bible uses to help us understand the nature and function of the church is an architectural image and the church as a building. We, we locate this image in an early Christian letter that was written 
by the Apostle Paul to a local congregation in the ancient city of Corinth. And Paul writes to this congregation and says that, you, that in fact, all of you who have been transformed by God's saving power, that you are God's building. You are God's new living building. And so Paul writes to them and says, look, I, I laid a foundation Others build upon it. And so the question then, well, what is the foundation? You know, what, what kind of foundation? And, and uh, Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, and says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Paul issues then a very clear warning against teaching and attitudes that move away from the centrality of Jesus. And so we have a, re a serious responsibility to ensure that the foundation, the person and work of Jesus controls the shape and the quality of the building. And so Jesus is preeminent. The, the person and work of Jesus is not only at the bottom holding the church up, but his, his influence must be pervasive throughout the entire structure. And so whatever building happens, whatever future growth and additions and all that strategies, all must be influenced by the person work of Jesus. Now, I, I've, I've been a musician for, for most of, of, of my life, uh, playing piano and other instruments and and uh, one of the things about, about cer certain kinds of music, for example, my daughter, Sarah, it, it, just pretend you're not here, all right, Sarah, for a second. You're not in the room. But Sarah's doing a guitar course at school, and, and right now they're, they're playing the blues. They're singing the blues or playing the blues. One, you know, blues is, is one of these wonderful genres of music that lends itself to a lot of improvising, Especially as, as a piano player, you know, when you're playing the blues or even some, some gospel-type feel music, it just lends itself to a lot of improvising, and you can just kind of go and do whatever you want to do there. But whatever improvising you might want to do with a piece of music, it all comes back to the foundation and structure of music itself. Because the improvising, the, the improvising that you'll do will only make sense if it's in the context of the proper structure and foundation of, of that piece of music. So, for example, when I was a young guy and I hated practicing piano, I spent hours and hours and hours doing scales up and down, every different key. I, I learned theory about chord structures and, and what chords fit in with certain keys. And, and, and all of that is kind of this foundation and, and so while you might be able to do a lot of improvising with a certain piece of music, it has to make sense with the fundamentals of the music. You, you have to know the proper chord structures and which chords fit in a particular key. If not, your, your improvising is not going to sound properly. That's kind of what this image of building upon the foundation is like. In, in the building of the church, there are a lot of different strategies and, and different things that we can talk about doing, and we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to go here, do there, but, but everything has to build upon the foundation. 
In, in, in other words, we have to see the marks of Jesus everywhere. And in everything that we do, the marks of Jesus have to be everywhere. And so in this sense, we need to lay all of our plans over the blueprint of the foundation. Do they fit? Do our plans fit with the person and mission of Jesus? Do our plans build upon his saving work? Or are there certain plans that perhaps are not building well upon Jesus and his mission? These are all wonderful questions in this season of transition. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take you to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. And so this, this image of the church as a building, we've drawn and we located in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where, where Paul says to this congregation at Corinth, you are God's living building. So what I want to do this morning, as I was thinking about this week, I thought, well, let's go to Acts chapter 18, where this church actually starts. And we have this short passage, verses 1 to 11, that tells us of when the Apostle Paul first arrives in Corinth and some of the um, initial things that he does when he first arrives in this city that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. So, so take uh, your Bible or, or open up your Bible app uh, to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, and we're going to read about the, the beginning of the church at Corinth. So Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, recently from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. And together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Amen. May God bless again the, 
the reading of of his word. So let's walk through this passage, shall we? And let me begin by telling you where this passage is leading. This is a passage of renewed hope for tired people. This is a passage of renewed hope for weary workers and for worn-out churches. So that's where this passage is leading. It's, it's, it's leading to renewed hope for tired people. So let's work our way, let's work our way there. Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's starting new churches. He's, he's visiting churches and cities that he had previously visited and strengthening believers. And, and he's, he's, he's begins, Acts 18 begins by telling us that Paul left the city of Athens and arrives in the city of Corinth. Uh, John Stott points out that it seems to have been Paul's deliberate strategy to move purposefully from one strategic city center to the next. And so from the intellectual city of Athens, Paul moves to the commercial city of Corinth. Corinth, as we've, we've identified, is a commercial center, a port city that had quite a colorful reputation for, for rampant sexual immorality. In fact, there was a phrase that became quite uh, common and, and known in the culture of the time, which was to live like a Corinthian, meaning to, to live with immoral standards. We know that Paul came to Corinth feeling his own inadequacy. He came in, in fear and weakness. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. But I also want you to understand that he came to them with resolute commitment to preach the saving work of Christ. Be because because the great solution to human pride and immorality is the cross work of Jesus Christ. Or as someone said, we must preach the fully sufficient, self-humiliating, self-denying cross of Christ. And we mustn't proclaim it in arrogance, but in desperate reliance upon the Spirit's power as Paul did. And so Paul arrives and he's, he says, you know, I came to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God, not with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul arrives in Corinth and he meets some friends. In Acts chapter 18, verses 2 to 3, it says this, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, because he was of the same trade, and he stayed with them, and he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So, Paul comes to Corinth. He makes a connection with this couple. And, and Aquila and, a Pris, and Priscilla become a tower of strength for Paul. 
We, we assume they were Christians when Paul arrived in Corinth, but the text is, is silent there. But we know they shared a common trade, tent makers, or more, more broadly, uh, leather works, workers of all types of, of leather. And no doubt, no doubt they had their own business, which they moved to Corinth. And we also note from verse 2 that that uh, their relocation was not by their, their own choice. And so this couple opened up their home to the Apostle Paul, and it seems that Paul begins uh, working alongside them in their business. And so in these days before a church was established, Paul worked to support himself. Paul would, would later write that, you know, about working hard as to not be a, a burden to others or so that he could not be accused of, of, of profiting financially from the gospel. And so Paul is working as a tent maker, but we, we also see from verse 4 that every Sabbath Paul was sharing the gospel in the Jewish synagogue. The work is described as reasoning and persuading both Jews and Greeks. So let, let's, let's just pause here for a moment and think some more about this couple, Achilla and Priscilla. This, this couple provided great strength and encouragement to the Apostle Paul. Uh, I mean, Priscilla is, is a, was a strong woman of influence. And in fact, four out of the six times when this couple is actually mentioned in the Bible, Priscilla is mentioned first. And this was not all that common for this time, and so probably is an indication about just how influential and important this woman was. One example, if you just go down to your Bible to Acts 18, verse 26, if you have your Bible open there, hopefully you still do. Just as an example, it says, he began to speak boldly, talking about Apollos, one of the teachers, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here they are as a team, kind of correcting the uh, Apollos, and, but again, Priscilla's mentioned first, which is, might be something we want to take note of. And, and, and so this fact is also a reminder that the early Christian movement was probably not just, you know, a male-dominated movement. And so somehow this couple came to saving faith, and they made a commitment to give legs to their faith, and we see a pattern of this couple serving the gospel wherever they found themselves. These are ordinary Christians working as a team, serving wherever God leads. They're just being open to the will of God. And so we know in this text in verse 2, they're forced to leave Rome, and they end up in Corinth, they partner with Paul there in the establishment of this church. They would later end up in Ephesus, where we, we're, we're told that the church met in their house. We know they go back to Rome before going, ending back at Ephesus, and so they're all over the place. But this couple seems to have been living out the core of Christianity. Treasure Jesus and follow him. 
Now treasure Jesus supremely and follow. And so this couple has learned, as someone said, that life is good, though not always easy, when it is spent in service to the king. And so I I just want to encourage us today, as we've gathered here, I want to encourage you, treasure Jesus and follow, follow him. This week, just treasure Christ supremely and, and, and follow where he leads. So listen, listen to how Paul talks about this couple in another letter over in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Again, he says, Greet Prisca and Achilla, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, <laughs> to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. You know, this couple was a tower of strength. Do you have people in your life who would risk their necks for you? I think that's kind of what we hope would exist in a community of grace, right? Don't you think that makes sense? In this community of grace that you, there would be people here who would go to bat for you. People who would just risk their necks for you. Have those? Is, is, is that who we are? And so this couple greatly admired because of their faithfulness. And, and I think it's a reminder as well that it really does take the whole body of Christ to give the gospel to the whole world. I think we should also note how Paul refers to this couple as my fellow workers. And as I, as I reflected upon that a lot this week, upon this couple and their relationship to Paul and the church, I was reminded of how faith and vocation intersect. So this couple, this couple were tent makers. They had, they had their own business But Paul, writing about them, says, he describes them how? As fellow workers in Christ Jesus. I want to affirm the fact today that God calls people into every sector of society. And I want to to remind us that our vocation, our work, is a gift. Now, Look, there may have been days this week where you felt that your vocation was not a gift. I, I get it. Maybe tomorrow morning when that alarm goes off, the first thought may not be, oh, I get to go to work this morning. It is a gift. Right? I, I get it. But, but your vocation and mine truly is, truly is a, a gift of God so that we can provide for our needs, right? So that we can help provide for the needs of others. That's another good gift of, of, of vocation. But I would also suggest that our vocation is a means of building bridges for the gospel. As people transformed by God's saving power, as God's new building, we need to renew our vision as vocation as a bridge. 
And so whatever field you are in, whether that's medicine or the military or tech or education, the trades, retail, hospitality, the restaurant business, whatever trade, whatever sector you are in, you are a fellow worker in Christ Jesus. And I think this is critical for renewed mission in our time. A great commission church draws its members into shared participation in the mission of God, and a huge part of that is our vocation, our job where God has called and placed you. You are a vocational missionary. Yeah, I mean, Jesus called some people into religious ministry, or we might call it, you know, full-time religious ministry, but not all. And we should note that Paul did not encourage his converts to leave their occupations or devote all their time to, you know, the work of the church. But rather, I would encourage you to view your job as an extension of the mission and ministry of our church, of of Philpot Church. You are a vocational missionary of Philpot Church wherever it is that you're going to find yourself this week working and serving. That, that's, that's, who, that's how you need to view yourself. The individual Christian has a calling, and your calling, your vocation, has weight and has meaning in its own right. Um, Martin Luther, the great um, reformer of the 16th century, was approached by a working man, it, it, we, we read, who wanted to know how he could serve God. And Luther asked him, What is your work now? And the man said, well, I'm a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied and said, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. He didn't tell the man to leave his shoe business and become a monk. As Christians, we can faithfully serve God in a variety of vocations and jobs, and we don't need to justify that work in terms of its spiritual value or evangelistic usefulness. We simply pursue our calling with new God-glorifying motives, goals, and standards, and so we shine wherever God has placed us, right? We, we treasure Jesus, and we follow and we serve. We okay? Everyone all right? Good. All right. I'll, I'll keep going on that note. Thank you for that encouragement. Look at what Gordon Smith says. Look at this, uh, look at this quote. Think about this. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God comes not Sunday morning in the gathering of the people for worship. It is rather... Monday morning when those empowered by word and sacrament through fellowship and mutual encouragement are heading into every sphere and sector of society, into schools and businesses and doctor's offices and construction jobs, art studios, and the daily routines of raising families and making homes. God 
calls us into every sector of society. And as we wrestle with how Philpot can be renewed in mission in this next and new season, as we, maybe as we wrestle a little bit more about the last part of our purpose statement, the restoration of the community and the city and the nations, I, I, I might suggest that this might be a great place for us to have more dialogue that all of you who are transformed by God's saving power should view yourselves as vocational missionaries. That all of us together are God's fellow workers. And so let me honor and celebrate today Christian workers. You know, believing nurses and the Christian doctor and the, the spirit-filled secretary and the believing babysitter and teacher and the believing welder and pipe fitter and the gospel-loving businessman and the financial planner and engineer. The reign of Christ happens as members of the church fan out each week to fulfill their God-giving vocations. And so there's a sense of intentionality here. I, I hope that you'll see yourself as that this week, that you'll approach your week with, with that mindset that you are going out this week as a vocational missionary, a fellow gospel worker. Well, let's, let's move on because this moment is getting a lot longer before the band comes back, isn't it? In verse 5, you have your Bibles open there. In verse 5, there's a shift for Paul. So Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia. And um, what you'll, what you'll, we, we note from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, they arrive with a financial gift. And so Silas and Timothy arrive with a financial gift from the churches in Macedonia. And what this financial gift enables Paul to do was to make the shift now to full-time preaching. To be able to now, you know, he was supporting himself, but now because of this financial gift from a bunch of other churches, you can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We won't take time to go there. But now because of this gift, now Paul can kind of devote himself to the Word. And that's what every preacher wants to do, by the way. <laughs> Just devote himself to, to preaching and teaching the Word. And so that's what happens. Then moving quickly, verses 6 to 8, again, now, so there's some opposition. So when they oppose or reviled him, you know, he, he shakes off his garments. And, and, um, and you'll note now, as, as Paul begins to face some opposition, it says he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue, and that led to some very great interesting works of God. So, the, you know, the church as a building, as we've said, reminds us that there'll be problems, right, because the work is ongoing. And in this case, Paul experienced opposition. So what does Paul do? Well, he shifts focus. You'll note at the, in, in verse 6, he says, okay, I, I, I was kind of this phrase stood out to me this week where he says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul shifts focus as he often would. And so, you know, ministry focus can change, right? And, and God, God may, may lead us as people and as a church in, in, in a different direction. And, and, and so as I was just kind of devotionally thinking about this statement, I thought, well, how, how might we fill in that sentence? 
From now on, or in this next season, I will go to... There will be times like that in ministry. So from now on, I will go to, and we might be able to fill that in. And so Paul experiences opposition as he's trying to convince many of the Jewish faith that Jesus is the Christ. And so where does Paul go next? Well, Paul moves next door. He goes next door. You know, he's reasoning with people in the synagogue. He comes up with some opposition. And so he moves next door. And next door was a man by the name of Titius Justice um, who most likely became a believer during Paul's synagogue ministry. And so Titius opens up his home to Paul and the new church. And what does that lead to? Well, that leads to the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, coming to faith in Jesus. So as I often say, God works in mischievous ways, doesn't he? (laughs) God has a way of working mischievous ways. Um, writer Tony, Tony Meridia helps us maybe put this in context maybe for us. And he says this, to put Crispus' conversion in modern terms, we might imagine that Christian missionaries enter into a hostile Muslim context and slowly build relationships with the people there And in time, they're introduced to a local imam. And after a series of conversations, that Muslim leader becomes a Christian. Is is such a thing really possible? Well, yes, because the gospel is true and the gospel is life-changing. And so may, may may our confidence in the gospel to transform anyone be renewed. You know, Paul... Paul came in weakness and fear, but preaching the cross of Christ to people of every social class, and by God's grace, many were saved. And so Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes to saving faith, along with his entire household and many other Corinthians. And so Paul is seeing fruit while also experiencing opposition. We can probably expect some of that as well. Gospel fruit mingled with opposition and wrinkles. As I I, thought about this, I I thought about following Jesus and are are we sometimes, are, are we ready to change that focus? Are we, some t- are, we, are, we, are we ready? Are we willing to switch gears for the sake of mission? Are, are, we, are we ready to kind of change things up for the sake of gospel mission and ministry? Are we, are, you know, there, there, there are many things that we need to, to hold loosely. There are some things we need to hold very tightly to, other things loosely, but are are we willing for the sake of mission to to switch gears and to change? Good questions. Let's finish up. So, what is described next in our text? We might not expect. Because, you know, after what seems to be 
some, some good things happening, it, it appears Paul's confidence seems to evaporate. He seems to be in a state of, of weakness and fear. So let's read verses 9 to 11 again. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, wow, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I mean, there's, there's a lot of encouraging things happening for Paul in this text. I mean, I mean think about all the good things that, are, that have happened in this text for Paul. Um, Achilla and Priscilla. Silas and Timothy comes, joins him with a, an encouraging ministry report from other churches, but also this financial gift that enables Paul to, you know, focus on, on the word full time. There are, there are many encouraging ministry results. There's people coming to faith. But may it not be lost on us that Paul still felt prey, it seems, to fear and discouragement. And God comes to Paul in a vision we read here. And what's his message? God comes to Paul and says, don't be afraid for I am with you. No, I mean, what's going on here? We're, we're not sure. Was it burnout? Anxiety? I mean, Paul did write and say he came to Corinth in fear and trembling, but I mean, all, all of these good things are happening, but yet Paul is just seems to be struggling. You know, I mean, life in general can be just plain tough sometimes, Right? And no matter, what, no matter what vocation you may be in, it just seems like there's heightened tension and pressure in the times in which we live. And, and this is also true for pastoral ministry. And, and a, lot, a lot has been written in recent times because of a lot of things that have happened in, in the public arena with, with high-profile pastors. Much has been written about the crushing weight of pastoral ministry. And, of course, it's the arena which, which I'm personally in, and so I'm quite aware of, of, of the unique challenges that face gospel workers. been reminded about it this week, and just in, in a conversation with a, a young pastor about some of the pressures that, that come. And so we're not exactly sure what's happening here for Paul, but what we do know is that Paul needed encouragement. And what I want us to draw from this text is this. Is that our sovereign, faithful, and loving God provided it. He provided the encouragement. That our sovereign, faithful, loving God came to Paul and encouraged him. And may our hope be renewed today by this image 
of what God will do to encourage us. That God comes to Paul in a vision and his words are relevant to us. May, may each of us hear them into our own unique context and settings. May we hear God's word to us saying, do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. And when you're drawn in, as we have been this morning, by this great vision of who God is, those words just mean so very, very much. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid to kind of go in that new direction because I'm with you. Don't be afraid to move in that decision. I, I am with you. Don't be afraid to share the gospel. I am with you. Don't, don't be afraid. I am with you. And here's what Kent Hughes, commentator Kent Hughes says. The vision and its opening words, the fact that God made the effort to encourage Paul not to fear, meant that God loved and cared for his ambassador. And this assurance ministered to Paul's heart, just as 1 John 4.18 teaches us, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. The simple words in the vision filled Paul's heart with God's love, and fear was put to flight. And time and time again, the scriptures tell us to fear not, to stop worrying about tomorrow, to stop boring trouble. Why? Because we're divinely loved, and God's love is always enough. Amen? Amen. Paul is discouraged, but God comes and moves Paul from fear to renewed mandate. In verse 9, he says, go on speaking and don't be silent. Why? Because of my promise that I am with you. And so as we continue to build, we need to be reminded that it is because of our Lord's presence that we can continue on in the mission. I'm going to invite you folks to, to come back and let me say this to you before we sing. As we continue to press out in mission and ministry, let us fill our minds with the promises of God and let's work faithfully. Guys, I, I want to switch up your last song. Is that okay? If, if not, you'll have to argue with me after, but we're still going to have my way here in a second, all right? That song you did earlier, um, Who Can, but the, but the Glory of God, um, do you know what I'm talking about? What's Behold it called? Our Behold Our God. We need to end with that song. All right, how, how are we doing? Is that okay? We're good. Here's what we need to do. Let's fill our minds with the promises of God and work faithfully. Let's saturate our minds with the promises of God in this season of transition. Saturate our minds with the promises of God. Because there's going to be some fruit, but there's going to be some challenges. Let's lean on the cane of God's grace, as someone said.
And may we always in our sorrows, disappointments, and discouragement meditate on the promises of God and draw near to Jesus. Treasure Jesus and follow him. Would you stand with me this morning? I'll switch mics here, my friend. I'd like for us to sing this song. You know, as they were singing that song earlier this morning, I was just kind of moved there in, in my pew there as just by the lyrics of this song. And it just draws us in to see the greatness of who God is. And, 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 I, and I think that's one of the, the most precious things about corporate worship is that it's designed to draw us in together, not to be focused on our needs and what's not going right. That's important. But one of the beautiful things about corporate worship is that we're drawn in to see the greatness of who God is. Because when we are drawn in to see the greatness of who God is, this promise becomes so much more deeper and true. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And so I want us to sing this song again before we, before we pray together. And I invite you to lift your voice and sing. Maybe you just want to reflect upon these words and listen to these guys sing. But let's together in this moment, before we pray together and before we're sent out as vocational missionaries this week on behalf of Jesus and, and, and Philpot Church, Let's sing and reflect upon the greatness of our God. Lead us, guys. Amen. And from, from that picture we've been singing, we hear the words of Jesus to us. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. with you. May we as a church be renewed in mission. May our plans and the things that are in our heart build upon the foundation of Jesus. May we view ourselves as these vocational missionaries living with a new sense of intention and purpose. May we be ready to switch gears if needed, to go in a different direction because of mission. And let us hear Jesus saying to us throughout all of that, don't be afraid. I am with you. Yeah. A lot of um, a lot of important decisions for this community of grace. Let's let's stay in step with Jesus, shall we? As a community. Let's, let's treasure Jesus. And let's follow. There's a, a closing prayer I'd like for us to uh, pray together.
that I think just speaks to what would be our corporate prayer for each of us this week. And I'd like for us all to pray this prayer together. We'll read this out loud and together as we are sent out this week to treasure Jesus, to follow, to be, to live with this new intention that we're representing Jesus in our church. Let's all pray together. Ready? Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his Spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, his power. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.